0: Before we start, let me lead us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you will be speaking to us now as we look into Psalm 57. Please open our hearts and change our minds. And please challenge us in ways we need to change. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Right. Today, we continue our series in the Psalms with Psalm 57. The heading to the psalm, or the zero for worse, as I call it, tells us it is a psalm written by David when he was fleeing from Saul and hiding in a cave. So to understand the context of the psalm, we have to recall from the Old Testament the story of David running away from Saul, and that story can be found in 1 Samuel. Don't turn there, I'll just summarize it for you. In 1 Samuel, we learn that God appointed Saul as Israel's first king after Israel demanded to have one over them. But God later rejected Saul and anointed a shepherd boy called David as Israel's second king. But before David replaced Saul, he had to serve Saul, first as a musician, playing the lyre, and later as a soldier. In fact, David became a very popular and very successful soldier. The women even had a song for him. It went Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. David became so popular that Saul became jealous of him. David became so successful that Saul became fearful of him. To cut to the chase, Saul then tried to kill David, but David managed to escape. When David fled to one part of the wilderness, Saul pursued him there. When David fled to another part of the wilderness, Saul pursued him there. David kept fleeing and Saul kept pursuing Psalm 57 comes during that part of history. The psalm tells us that David was in a cave, but not which one exactly. It might have been the one in 1 Samuel 22 or the one in chapter 24, but regardless, the psalm gives us an insightful glimpse into David's mind during a very distressing time in his life. How did David handle his situation? Where did he see God in his troubles? And what does this psalm teach us today? I think there are two lessons we can learn from Psalm 57. Firstly, in verses one to four, "Cry to God in distress. Let's cry to God in distress." And secondly, in verses six to 10, "Rejoice in God in deliverance. Let's rejoice in God in deliverance." Both lessons are related to God's steadfast love and faithfulness, and we'll be spending most of this sermon looking at them in more detail before concluding briefly in verses five and 11 let's begin with the first lesson cry to God in distress Psalm 57 begins with David crying to God for mercy in verse 1 it says be merciful to me O God be merciful to me it's a desperate cry from a desperate man in a desperate situation but why of all people did David cry to God God wasn't the one trying to kill him Saul was in fact David had every right to blame God for getting him into his troubles in the first place. If God hadn't made himself Saul, he would still be chasing after sheep. Not having Saul chase after him. If God hadn't made him defeat Goliath, he would still be playing music in a palace. Not playing hide and seek with Saul in the wilderness. And why of all things did David cry for mercy? Mercy wasn't going to save him. Might was. In fact, as God's anointed king, David could have asked for more men, more weapons, or at the very least, more food. Instead, she was crying for mercy from the wrong person. What was David thinking? What was going through his head? David gives us the answer in the rest of verse 1. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. This is image there that David's using is that of a bird sitting nervously in its nest during a thunderstorm. Just imagine that. You close your eyes and you can still see flashes of lightning. You cover your ears, but you can still hear roars of thunder. You crouch your body, but you can still feel drops of rain. If you stay still, you might get blown off by the wind. If you fly away, you might get struck by lightning. Then you notice the mother bird, the mother hen maybe, looking cool and calm. And you cry to her. And she covers you under her big wings. Suddenly you can't see the lightning anymore. Suddenly you can't hear the thunder anymore. Suddenly you can't feel the rain anymore. It's quiet. It's calm. It's safe. You feel safe. You are safe. That's what David understood of God. Jonathan, his best friend, saved him once. but couldn't save him again. Samuel the prophet was too far away to save him. His men were too outnumbered to save him. He couldn't save himself. But David knew God, yes God, could save him. And David wasn't just hoping against reason. Look how confident he was in verses 2 and 3. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame, him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David was really confident God would save him. God will do this. God will do that. you notice that? God will save him. God will shame his enemies. God will fulfill his purpose. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David was really confident. And he wasn't just confident in times of comfort. Look how distressed he was in verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. David was in a really distressing situation. Not difficult to be not easy to be confident there. He had no peace of mind. Saul's men were looking for him everywhere, like lions and fiery beasts, waiting to pounce on him when he wasn't looking, and take his life with teeth like spears and arrows. Saul's men kept discovering his whereabouts, his hideouts, his caves, and kept informing Saul with tongues like sharp swords. So Saul continued hunting David down like a wounded animal. David was in distress and yet he cried to God in his distress because he knew God could and would save him. God had a purpose for David to make him the king of Israel to shepherd God's people to defeat God's enemies and God was going to fulfill that purpose back in verse 3 if you look there by sending his steadfast love and his faithfulness God's steadfast love means he won't let his chosen servant, David, suffer for no good reason. God's faithfulness means he won't let his anointed king, David, see death before he sees the throne. David knew God's character as a loving and faithful God, that God will send his steadfast love and faithfulness. So David cried to God in his distress. Now, I'm married to Jocelyn there. and I, I think I know her character well enough. I think so anyway. And I've been trying to decide what to get her for Christmas. I'd like to give her something she can enjoy on her own. But if I give her books, CDs, DVDs, clothes, any anything which can vaguely be shared, I know she will share it with her family, my family, your family, and everyone else. Because she's just too selfless. I'd also like to give her something she can exercise her brain cells with, you know, a quality present. But if I give her complicated puzzles, or anything which involves too much trial and error, I know she will never remove it from the box ever again, because she's just too impatient. Knowing my wife's character as a selfless and impatient woman, and what she will or will not do out of her character, influences my decision. It's similar with David and God. Knowing God's character as a loving and faithful God and what he will or will not do out of his character influenced David's decision to cry to God in his distress. Now, we know from the big picture of the Bible that David was a foreshadow of Jesus, the chosen servant, the anointed king. God had a purpose for Jesus to make him king of the world to shepherd God's people, to defeat God's enemies. And God fulfilled that purpose for Jesus by sending His steadfast love and faithfulness to Him. How do you do that? Well, if you turn to our New Testament reading today from Hebrews chapter 5, um, verses 7-10, to 10, I'll let you turn to Hebrews chapter 5, it's on page 1206 in the Church Bibles. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So you might ask, how did God send Jesus' his love? Didn't Jesus die on the cross? Yes. It says that God used Jesus' suffering to teach him obedience. Just as a loving father teaches his son obedience through discipline. Okay, and how did God send Jesus his faithfulness? Well, God made Jesus perfect. Resurrected him from the dead. Ascended him to heaven. Seated him at the right hand of the Father to become the source of eternal salvation. God fulfilled his purpose in Jesus, didn't he? Jesus knew God's character. Jesus and the Father were one. Jesus knew God's love and faithfulness. Jesus was the Father's beloved Son. So Jesus cried to God in His distress. Brothers and sisters, God has a purpose for us too. To make us more and more like Jesus. And God is going to fulfill that purpose by sending His steadfast love and faithfulness to us. Just as He did for David and Jesus. But unlike David, our enemy isn't of flesh and blood, but rather of spiritual forces of evil who try to separate us from God. And the devil knows the best time to do that is in our distress. Just as David was in distress. In this life, all of us will face distressing times. Times when we find it difficult even just to smile. It might be losing your job, which means you can't afford your mortgage anymore or just to pay your bills, or even your next meal. It might be, for the students here, filling your exams, which leaves you feeling stupid and worthless. It might be a broken relationship, which hurts every time you even think of the other person. It might be a disease which leads to death, or an illness which leads to disability. Time so dark that you wish there was always night, so you won't have to wake up to face yet another day. Time so uncertain that you wish someone would just tell you what to do, so you won't have to worry about making those difficult decisions. In those times of distress, we might be tempted, like David, to run and hide in our own caves. We might run to the material, like holidays, or clothes, or the latest gadgets, to distract ourselves from the real problem. We might hide in the superficial, by pretending nothing bad ever happened, and everything is okay, to mask the real problem from others, even to other Christians. All that running and hiding will only draw us away from God, as we eventually stop praying to God, Stop reading the Bible. Stop attending cell groups. Stop meeting on Sundays. And ultimately, stop acknowledging Jesus as King. Running and hiding in those times of distress won't do us any good. David knew that. In times of distress, we should cry to God like David and Jesus because God will send his steadfast love and faithfulness even if it looks unlikely. You might ask, where is God's love? Where has He shown His love? Well, Romans 5, verse 8, Romans 5 verse 8 says, God showed His love for us in that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. When we refused to live under God's rule, and chose to live under our own rule, God could have punished us. But He took the punishment on Himself instead. God was loving enough to die on a cross to rescue His people from the penalty of their sins. God was faithful enough to die on a cross to fulfill His promises of rescue to His people. God demonstrated His love and faithfulness to us at the cross. And as His people today, we trust He has rescued us from our biggest problem. That's our sin, don't we? Now God doesn't promise to solve all our problems, but if we trust Him with our biggest problem, and surely we can trust Him with our lesser problems too. Cry to God in distress. Talk to Him. Tell Him your troubles. Share with Him your worries. He will hear us in our prayers. And listen to Him. Read the Bible. Meditate on the psalm. He will speak to us in His word. And meet His people, friends from church, cell group members, older Christians. He will use them to support us. And persevere in Him. God's faithfulness means He will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. And He will provide us the way out. God's steadfast love means we will come out more, more purified, more refined, and more and more like the Lord Jesus. Cry to God in distress, because God will send His steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's move on to the second point. Rejoice in God in deliverance. In verse 6, David says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. You see that? David's safe. He could finally relax. David's free. He could finally return home. David's been delivered from the hands of Saul. But what happened? The image he uses is that of a hunter setting up a net and digging a pit to catch his prey. But in the end, the hunter falls for his own trap. It's like watching the Roadrunner show. You know that cartoon with the bird that runs very fast and always goes beep beep, and the coyote that keeps trying to kill the bird but always ends up hurting himself. In that cartoon, the bird always escapes due to the coyote's foolishness or the bird's own good fortune. For example, the coyote might hide some explosives, always from Acme Corporation, under a pile of bird seeds and then waits behind a rock. The bird zooms to the seeds says beep beep and starts eating but the coyote can't get the explosive to work he presses that thing that doesn't work the bird zooms off so he says beep beep then zooms off and the frustrated coyote goes over to check the problem only to have the explosives go off in his face foolishness or good fortune David had a close encounter with his own coyote by the name of Saul but he wasn't rescued by foolishness or good fortune David was rescued by God. In verses 7 to 9, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. David rejoiced in God. He didn't feel shy or ashamed to proclaim God's rescue. He didn't just walk away as if God had no part to play in his rescue. He didn't just say, oh, thank you, and get on with his life either. Remember how God will do this and do that in verse 3? Now it's David's turn. He will sing and make melody. He will awake the dawn like a an annoying neighbor. He will give thanks to God among the peoples by setting his Facebook status to I thank God. He will sing praises to God among nations by singing Amazing Grace in Mandarin, English, Spanish and Hindi. David rejoiced in God and he went over the top with it. But why? In verse 10, For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Does anything in that verse sound familiar? Remember steadfast love and faithfulness in verse 3? They were the two things David knew God would send in his rescue. David had experienced God's steadfast love and faithfulness for himself. And knowing that God had a lot more love and a lot more faithfulness in store, reaching up to the heavens and the clouds, David just couldn't stop himself from rejoicing. It's a good thing, isn't it? David knew God's character as a loving and faithful God and that God has sent his steadfast love and faithfulness. So he rejoiced in God in his deliverance. Now, my wife and I both lived in England for a few years and there... We became friends with an incredibly hospitable Christian couple called the Tucks, who were great at welcoming people, particularly international students. We experienced it for ourselves. They often invited us over for Sunday lunches, Easter parties, Christmas parties, their children's birthday parties, random lunches, random dinners, whatever, you name it. We felt welcome in their home. They even let us babysit their adorable children. And once they even let us host Christmas lunch at their house while they were away overseas. We felt part of their family. They even wanted to name their third child Jocelyn with two N's. Except it turned out to be a boy. (laughs) Knowing the Tuck's character as hospitable people and what they have done in the past out of their character influences our way of speaking about them. It's similar with David and God. Knowing God's character as a loving and faithful God And what he has done in the past, out of his character, influenced David's way of speaking about God. Which was to proclaim God, to exalt in God, and to rejoice in God and his deliverance. How could David not? God rescued him. Now, as God fulfills his purpose for us, to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus, we will experience not only times of distress, which we've already talked about, but also times of deliverance. It might be when prayers are answered, or when relationships are restored, or when illnesses are healed. Brothers and sisters, in those times of deliverance, we should rejoice in God, like David, because God has sent us His steadfast love and faithfulness. When God answers our prayers, rejoice! When God rescues us from times of distress, rejoice! Rejoice! When there doesn't seem to be anything worth rejoicing about lately, remember the ultimate rescue, the rescue of all rescues, that God has rescued us from the penalty of our sins. And rejoice. Romans chapter 5 verse 11 tells us, we can rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So rejoice. And when we do rejoice, let's make it clear like David. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't mutter under your breath. Give thanks to God in prayer. It might be in speech or song. Let other Christians know your thanksgiving. Share it. It might be at cell group or after church service or at community dinner after this. Let other people know your reason for rejoicing. It might be over coffee with colleagues or if you're a student in the lecture hall with classmates. Nowadays, it might even be through Facebook status updates or Twitter tweets or blog posts. However we do it, whenever we do it, let's make it clear that we rejoice in God and God alone. So rejoice in God in deliverance because God has sent us His steadfast love and faithfulness. Now before I draw this sermon to a close, let's, let's look briefly at verses 5 and 11. Verses 5 and 11. Notice they have exactly the same words. They repeat of themselves. Verses 5 and 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It's as if verses, verse 5 punctuates verses 1 to 4 and verse 11 punctuates verses 6 to 10. It's as if after crying to God in verses 1 to 4, David bursts into exaltation. And after rejoicing in God in verses 6 to 10, David tops up his over-the-top celebration with the same exaltation. God gets the glory either way. Both in seemingly bad times of distress and seemingly good times of deliverance both in seemingly downbeat moments of crying to God and seemingly upbeat moments of rejoicing in God. God gets the glory either way because God is a loving and faithful God and His steadfast love and faithfulness prevails in all situations. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, all I have said so far assumes that we are Christians that we acknowledge and believe Jesus as our Lord and Savior, so we can have a personal relationship with God from which all this crying and rejoicing takes place. So if you are not a believer here today, please let me encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. Read one of the Gospel accounts of Jesus. Speak to a Christian, maybe the person who brought you here, or the person sitting next to you, and ask that person, how you too can enjoy a relationship with God so personal that you can even cry to Him and rejoice in Him. Brothers and sisters, God is an unchanging God. His character is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. His love is as steadfast in our time as in David's time. His faithfulness is as firm in our time as it was in David's time. So as God fulfills His purpose for us to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus, as we experience pain and relief, the ups and the downs, the good times and the bad times, let's remember to cry to God in distress and rejoice in God in deliverance because God will and God has sent His steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, for the rescue from the sins that he brought us, for the personal relationship with God that he gave us. And thank you, God, for fulfilling your purpose in us, even as we keep stumbling and failing. When you discipline us, God, please remind us that we should cry to you for help, for mercy, for strength, for deliverance. And when you deliver us, God, please remind us that we should be rejoicing in you. And in all these things, God, we thank you for being a loving and faithful God who will and has sent his steadfast love and faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.